Everybody, welcome to the new media show. My name is Todd Cochran. And of course, I want to welcome my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee. Rob, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then I'll do yeah. the same. Yeah, it's great to be here at the NAB show, uh, live stage. Uh, continuing, and this is our second episode that we've done today, or this week from Las Vegas, uh, talking about podcasting. So uh, my name is Rob Greenlee, and I am the VP of podcast content and partnerships at a company called Lipson, and we host podcasts, and um, so does Todd. So why don't you, Todd, tell them about yourself. My name is Todd Cochran. I'm the CEO and founder of Blueberry Podcasting been a podcaster since uh, the early days of podcasting and my company's also a podcast service company full service podcast service company but of course we got a couple of great guests with us today rob why don't you introduce our guest yeah we've got uh, two fantastic guests actually both of them are new to the new media show never been on before um the first one i'll introduce is uh, mr larry rosen uh who's the president of edison research we're honored to have you join us. Thank you. Happy it's awesome. To be I know uh, you guys have been a real leader in keeping track of what's been going on in the podcasting space since about uh, 2005, I believe, yeah, is when you guys started. started. Right yeah. at near the beginning, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then also on stage, we, we have Christina Rubino, who's uh, GM of offline practice at uh, Right Side Up, which is a uh, large podcast ad agency buying podcasts at a large scale, and she's going to tell us more about that uh, as well here. But uh, we're excited to be here, Todd. Do you want to start off, Todd? Yeah, for those of you that may be watching on the NEB live stream or joining us for the first time, make sure you get over to newmediashow.com, follow or subscribe to the podcast. We want you to do that. We, we do this every week for about 90 minutes. We talk about the really internal stuff that's happening in the podcasting space. We dig deep and sometimes uh, share rumors and and stuff that people share with us. So it's a great show to hang out with. So I guess we can start off, Rob. You've got, we actually have an agenda. Normally we don't do the show with an agenda. <laughs> yeah. So what, what's on the agenda? Yeah, so just to start off at the top, what we're gonna talk about today is really focused on uh, podcast monetization. So we typically don't specialize in a particular topic on this show. So if you listen to a regular episode that we do uh, every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific uh, noon, what was it 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific? Um, we we just usually just rant about all sorts of different topics in the podcasting space, but we are coming into this episode with a little bit of a focus, and um, and it, don't be surprised if we stray from that focus a little bit now and then. Uh, that's just who we are and what we do. Um, but anyway, let's let's start off and talk about kind of podcast monetization. Like I said, uh, there seems to be a lot of uh, kind of flux in the podcasting space around monetization right now and a lot of kind of like um, um, kind of turmoil in the monetization, which has kind of always been there with podcasting. So it's really not something tremendously new, um, but I think we're kind of going through growing pains, which I think has been kind of a 10 year phenomenon, but, but it seems to be reaching a, a peak. And so what we wanted to talk about is here is are podcast advertising really ready to scale? I mean, are we ready to ramp it up? Because everybody keeps talking about us moving up to $3 billion in revenue uh, this in the next, I don't know what period of time, in the next two years or something like that. I think we're at the maybe one to one and a half billion right now. But um, sort of, Christina, what do you think? I mean, are podcasts getting ready to scale or do you think we've got a ways to go? I think it depends on how you define scale, right? Well, 
because billions of dollars of billions scale. of dollars yes. it's all it's already happening but when yeah. you think about scale um and you think about i i am uh going to probably misquote the latest Redis and research stat, but I've got Larry right here so he can fill you in. Um, we're very much into the majority in terms of the, the amount of the country that is listening to podcasts, right? We're in, we're an early majority probably still. Well, technically, if a majority is 50% or more, you know, our, our estimate for the percentage of Americans who listen to at least one podcast in a month is currently 38%. So we're, there's still a lot of growth potential left. The percentage you have ever listened to a podcast is a clear majority, 62%. Yeah. That's but the, one I'm the monthly of. number is still below that yeah. level. But when you think about it, if four out, if you can reach four out of 10 Americans on any medium, when all of us are completely fragmented from a media consumption perspective, mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, that's a really attractive prospect yeah. for me as an advertiser, right? Um, do I think we're ready to become like a reach medium and a fully scaled medium? I think there's some, from a monetization standpoint, there's definitely going to be some things that hold us back. Yeah. Um, I we at at the consultancy that I work for, we are buying thousands of shows on a regular basis, but a lot of it is still transacted very manually, right. um, for lack of a better word, right? This is still the very much like the call up your rep, email your rep, have the conversation, buy the things, do the stuff, check the mm -hmm. air checks. Um, and right. so there's going to have to be some sort of an application of technology right. to allow to for that scale, to streamline right. that for sure. But then on the flip side of it, we're kind of always going to have these you know, small to mid to large size shows that you're also kind of cobbling together in a buy. Mm -hmm. So do I think we'll get there for monetization? Absolutely. Do I think there's a clear path for it and one that's tech enabled at this moment? Not quite. Right. I think we've got a little bit of ways to go there. Right. You know, if I look at the history of where we came from and where we are, it's almost like there was a period of time when, well, of course, there was no big shows. There were all small shows in size. So that was the only thing it could be monetized. And then big shows started coming in. And the I always say the money rolled up. It rolled out of the small shows into the big shows. And it really never came back. And my struggle for many, many years is when will that money come back to those small shows that even though the earnings will not be significant, it might be enough to motivate them to keep creating content and be able to have more resources to have bigger shows. So... I've always struggled for the indie podcasters that are, you know, kind of on the edge of being able to make money and and, and not. And it feels like we've kind of left them behind for a long time. So I, I hope we can start fixing that. I don't. Yeah. You have thoughts on that? I do actually. Um, so the company that I work for, Right Side Up, one of the biggest things that I wanted to focus on. Um, I've worked at ad agencies. I've been in marketing for about 15 years. Um, we actually buy with a ton of independents and a ton of shows directly, mm -hmm. but also through through some of the platforms that you can. I'm a big believer in that in order to have a full media plan for any one given client, you need to go deep. You can't just go service level in podcasting, right? Because some of the broad reach shows that we buy, they're incredible, but they really, to the point about this medium beginning to mainstream, right? You're, when you go out and you advertise on an audience that gets millions of downloads, that's a pretty mainstreamed audience. What I want, and let's just say I work, for, I work with a B2B advertiser, okay, right, in the financial services space. Um, I still want those 20,000, 15,000 download shows that are about some arch topic that most people are going to be like, I don't want to listen to that. And it's like, good, you're not supposed to listen to that. That show is not for you. That show is for those people who make those decisions. And it's a very particular thing. So my thing is, from a media buying perspective, don't be lazy. 
go out and find the shows that you need to buy for any given advertiser, regardless of scale. And whether or not that's technology-enabled shouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, if we're trying to pursue advertising that works, that's, you know, it it shouldn't matter. You shouldn't need technology enablement in order to do a full job media planning. There's still going to be a discovery challenge, right? The same discovery challenge that exists for listeners exists for advertisers. But we've gotten a lot better about that. Um, You know, when you get an ad insertion order uh, put together and you send it off to uh, a media buyer and there's, let's say there's 50 shows on and they come back with you and they've cherry picked it down to three, it can be pretty discouraging for those other 47 shows that you've worked to get on that buy saying, hey, you know, they've got an interest and then they just went and picked one or two. And it often frustrates me in the fact that those audiences across those shows are largely non-duplicative audience. So it's just like that media buyer is immediately just thrown out 47 shows and how many ever tens of thousands of listeners that they could have reached. And it's, it's sometimes it gets pretty frustrating. You want to bang your head against the wall, but I hope that changes. Well, that's not necessarily our intent. I will say on the other end of that, uh, you ever hear the expression, 10 pounds of, you know what, in a five pound bag? Sometimes when I get proposals back, they're like, you know, it would be great, this show that's totally unrelated to anything that you want to buy. So while I very much appreciate the the craft that goes into some proposals, in other cases, it's like, let me tell you about everything you can buy. And this kitchen sink over here, too, it's so great. So there is very much like some of your contemporaries who are... You know, kind of, kind of trying to monetize where maybe it's not the greatest fit for the advertiser. It, it kind of does go both ways. There has to be an alignment, so it's not like uh, you're going to put a, a tech advertiser in a sewing show. You know, you, you have to have that match. Yeah. You, right. I've seen some weird shit, Todd. Like, let me tell you, okay? <laughs> I have seen some really. They're like, do you know what would be amazing for this? X, Y, I'm like. Who thinks that you're going to reach a suburban mom who's listening to like that? What? Not okay. Whatever. Um, So there is definitely, I would say, but that's also where when you think of some of the OGs in the space and this, you just kind of mentioned it. That's a very manual approach to media planning. But guess what? I want someone like you or somebody like a me to sit there and agonize over like, should I include the show in my plan? Should we be doing this? Right. And that's when we come to the notion in order to monetize that this medium at scale that we have to be content agnostic right. yeah. is where I start yeah. getting crazy because I'm like, well, you guys, like, it's all about the content. Right. Um, so, yeah, I hear you. And, and you're really doing a disservice to the advertiser when you align it with the wrong show because then it's just going to hurt ROI. They're not going to be happy. Podcasting and gonna doesn't say, work, Todd. They're going to say, I'm not spending no more money. No. <laughs> right. Well, let's also be clear that only about half of, I don't know, Todd, I don't know what the percentage is, but less than half of all podcasts even have an interest in advertising, first of all. Um, But that doesn't mean that the vast majority of shows don't promote something, right? They probably promote their own product, their own service, um, and there's no reason why you can't kind of do your own ad spot if you want to promote something that you're you're trying to sell or you're doing a service or you're doing whatever you can kind of create your own advertising in your own podcast if you want to but absolutely so it's it's definitely you know us coming up here talking about advertising as a focus in podcasting kind of a little bit kind of misses the bigger point of podcasting and that's that's trying to reach a community build a community and that's also key to building advertising um, opportunities in podcasts too is we got to reach more people we got to reach better targeted audiences and um, and it just advertising is an important part 
only from the standpoint is that it incentivizes content creators to create better content potentially too because then they can work at it full time because i mean todd and i started out this as kind of it wasn't a full-time thing for us it was something we did as a hobby because we enjoyed it but but go ahead Todd. you know and you hear these big numbers like 3.7 million podcasts well there's really only about 400,000 active podcasts that have created a new episode in the last 90 days so when you break that down by category so then maybe you're looking at 20 to 30,000 shows per category and there's even subcategories of that so in the end the pools of shows that want advertising in any specific category is a lot smaller than most people even completely realize so and and if you even think about it even a deeper level three to four percent of shows today are getting monetized so you probably only have maybe 45 percent of shows that are left that aren't hit those marks they need to attract the big advertisers that are left so it's it's you know if you look at the scheme of things it doesn't look as a big of a daunting issue to monetize those shows but at the same time we're leaving literally probably between all the hosting providers several billion downloads a month on the table that are not or listens if you want to call them listens that are that are not being monetized and when when you say that in front of radio folks they about probably have a stroke you know when you hear that that is a non-monetized number yeah yeah i mean my thing is when it comes to the big advertisers definitely um there is there's kind of this interesting thing so i used to work in brand advertising and um there's going to be, so there are advertisers that have been in this medium since the dawn of time, right? How many times have you heard a Blue Apron ad? How many times have you heard a ZipRecruiter ad? Or now, and we work on it, how, right. do, how many times have you heard a DoorDash ad, right? right? So there are these advertisers where you're like, well, they're not the biggest advertisers in the world. They're not the brand advertisers. I've seen podcasting be a game changer and a business changer for a lot of high growth startups who start smaller need to show return on investment and also and this is the critical part they're borrowing on the trust of that host listener relationship and so from where i sit i'm like yeah that's great like if kleenex and everybody and their mother wants to come into the channel now awesome everybody get in the pool the water's fine however my thing is are we leaving behind some of the advertisers who have helped us get to this point candidly the, the direct response advertisers and the high growth tech advertisers are the ones that we focus on for the most part and so from where i sit i'm like no, that those shows, these, this host listener connection, there's something special there. I'm fond of saying most of the time, historically, when I've told people I work in paid search and display and you, you just see the eyes glaze over and you're like, <laughs> oh God, the right. advertising ladies here. And now right. when I tell people I work in podcast advertising, all they want to do is, oh my God, the ads from my favorite show are so funny. And, and it's yeah. just, I'm like, there are hundreds of thousands, millions of views on YouTubes of on, on YouTube of ads. Right. You, I have never in my life, in my career in media, seen people enjoy ads enough that they're like, no, the ads become the content. Right. So a very, very near and dear subject to my well, heart. I mean, that, that, that's the power of host-read advertising is that yes. it's an endorsement, it's content, it's entertainment. It can be all those things, and that's what's powerful about it. But I wanted to uh, j- just ask also about... Um, do we think that we're still leaving a lot of big brands and the big advertisers on the sidelines? I mean, is there still oh. more opportunity coming? Oh, massive, massive okay. opportunity. I've, I've been doing lots of meetings lately with both agencies and clients. And I mean, you see the entire spectrum from people who are already completely knowledgeable 
about this space. So, yeah, you know, we really haven't dipped our toe into this yet, and we're curious about it. And they're often many of the big corporates right. who have, have really been shy. And I do think there's a number of things that come into play when you're talking about bi- the big corporate advertisers. Yeah. One is their willingness to let talent just riff on their product because they often are much more cautious about such things. Mm-hmm. And then the hottest topic probably in all of advertising right now is brand safety, a term that you really didn't even hear that much a few years ago. And it's the hottest, I mean, everyone's talking about brand safety. And there's sort of a fear factor, especially out in the long tail, right. where, where it seems a little, to use the endless metaphor, scary. wild, wild right. west, a little scary. Yeah. And what is my ad going to end up next to or what kind of content is it going to be within? And so that's another probably scale and tech challenge that the industry is going to face because you know the, the title of the show may not tell you what it really is about. And so it's going to depend on solutions to make to assure the big corporates that they will achieve brand safety. Well, it's that and also it's brand safety and also ad verification. Right. Right. So for a medium that has historically transacted on a spot cost basis, now when I'm doing impression based buying, some of the publishers that we work with, I'm like, hey, guys, I need reports for that stuff. And they're like, well, you never needed it before. I'm like, well, we weren't buying on an impression before. Now I need to know if it was actually delivered. And there is actually no third-party ad server in podcasting. Even if you wanted to use something like Google Campaign Manager from an IP perspective. So we're we're now running into, I also say that you have to kind of redefine brand safety when you come into podcasting. If you you go back into history, (laughs) there's been some shows that run some crazy ads that today would not happen because there was... You know, the brand safety wasn't a concern, and they would be, yeah. They didn't even so, know that it was something to be concerned about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you mean? That's well, the But I also say, so yeah. Yeah. I love in podcasting that the F word is sometimes a very enthusiastic adjective, right? right? It's just, it's how we talk. We're all humans. I get it. My thing is, and I explain this to advertisers coming in the space, I'm like, they might use it as a joyous expletive. This is so effing great. I effing love this product. And my thing is for a brand like, you know, your big corporates, it's like, well, if if you're going to clutch your pearls when somebody drops an F-bomb in a show, mm, this is not the channel for you. You you might want to think about terrestrial. Because from my point, I always bring up the Bill Burr examples. If you've ever seen the Sherry's Berries ad, it's a classic. It's incredible. It's funny as hell. From an advertising perspective, I know the guys behind it. I know that it, it absolutely cranked from an ROI perspective, but I've sent it to advertisers and been like, you okay with this? <laughs> and a lot of the time they're like, that's yeah, okay. And then a lot of the time they're like, no, they can't say that. Can right. you make them not say that? And I'm like, yeah, let me put a, let me put a leash on that comedian over there. I'll get right on that. Like, that's not going to happen. So. Yeah, and it's also a misunderstanding of the medium too, because one of the yes. things that you're, you're buying in the medium is that authenticity and that rawness that attracts audiences now. It bland doesn't attract audiences. Yeah, I'm, so, not, I'm not saying necessarily yeah. that their obsession with brand safety is even right, but they are obsessed with it, yeah, and the medium has to... It's still a fact. Yeah. Right. And, and it's an education process, too. They, they need to, you know, maybe push the envelope on their tolerance a little bit and understand that maybe their brand needs to adapt to the culture a little bit more. Right. Be honest with you, I would kind of hoped as we moved on now almost 18 years in podcasting that some of the, how should we say, more conservative thinkers in these big companies that were 
so concerned about being in, let's say, an absolute G-rated show would have retired and then there would be some fresh voices <laughs> right. that right. Had, would have you moved always in. Hope. You yes. would always hope. But, you know, you, but, you can't, uh, but it seems much more on the top of people's minds now than it was even a couple of years well, ago. Well, it's yeah. top of people's minds in like social media too. It's yeah. top of people's mind in all forms of advertising yeah. these days, especially if it relates to online. I mean, unless, yeah. you know, like television probably doesn't have, the streaming platforms don't have too much of an issue with it because everything is so controlled. Exactly. And on the radio side, it's much more controlled too. But when you get into YouTube and you get into these live platforms, you know, it's it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, you know? there's some of it that's going to yeah. be cultural, but then there's also the table stakes of it all, right? right. The the no hate speech, no discrimination, like all of the things that are listed in the IAB version 3.0 terms yeah. and conditions. That is really, when it comes to a brand safety perspective, that's why we still hand vet every single show that we appear on. They have to be because yes, you, it, unless you know the show, you can't. You can't rep the show because you have to know what that show content is, the demeanor of the host. I mean, there's a lot to it, I understand, because there's a lot at stake today. And as Larry, as you said, you know, all it takes is one, one thing that happens in a show that is not brand safe, that's being advertised in, and it's all over social media. It's, it's, right. And there's boy, you know, boycotts or whatever. So I understand companies' yeah. challenges in that. So I guess the... This whole conversation leads into a much bigger topic of, well, how do we scale across large numbers of shows, but yet give the brands a feeling of safety, right? There's got to be a technology solution here. And the one that comes to mind is utilizing transcripts. But maybe it doesn't, those transcripts need to be able to look at context too, um, not just keywords. But keywords are a clue, right? But maybe those keywords, um, don't give the full picture, right? So I think yeah. you know I think that's an opportunity for the industry to maybe automate that a little bit and to be able to to um, scale it as well. Yeah, I, I mean, don't know what you think. We dealt with the same challenge in digital 12, 10, 12 years ago. I mean, it was the same. Yeah. We were like, how do we do this? Is it keyword based? Is it contextual? How? What is contextual in this? Right. What is this context? Um, you know, uh, candidly, I'm looking for the answers to this as well. We're all looking. I've, I've been telling everybody on stage, I'm like, if you can tell me how to flight dynamic impressions successfully every time, I'll give you money. <laughs> I, I want the answer too, right? Um, yeah. I think there's a, a good chunk of this also that to your point, the, the notion of knowing the show and knowing the show in order to sell it, when you then kind of think about the broader based platform based style of advertising that's starting to be applied to this channel, I, I think about you guys as hosts, publishers, producers, sales. Um, how do you guys ra reckon with that? How do you wrap your head around that? Because it's a very different sell mm -hmm. than the kind of personal connection that we've all been used to. Yeah. But if you, if you also think about it from another perspective, you can know the host well, but the loose cannon can always be the guest. And Absolutely. So unless that host is edited out something that might be considered controversy but that's often what makes the show so they're hesitant in pulling a piece out whereas the brand may go ooh and the podcaster goes yes because he just gained uh, some more listeners so and I think that'll be the answer to Rob's question over time is I think there'll be multiple approaches 
and people who sort of talk to a certain kind of advertiser who's comfortable with the risk and says, you know, we, this is the way we sell. And then there will be these more controlled communities where they say, no, we know every show. We know the context of everything. We have transcription. We have, and we can sell to, in that case, probably the big corporates who have big concerns about those kinds of things. And you'll probably see the, the industry sector in different ways, just as it's, you know, there's the head of the tail and there's some very, very big shows. And then there's this, no matter how long it, the number is, Todd, there's a huge long tail, whether it's 400,000 shows or 4 million shows. And out there on that tail, there's going to have to be a different solution and different advertisers who are more comfortable with that. But it definitely has to be something that has to be automated because if you look at it from a time perspective, and I've said this stat a million times on this show, 90% of podcasts deliver 90% of their lifetime downloads in the first 96 hours. So you have to have a technology that is ready to say, this is safe in minute one of that show's release versus, all right, two hours later, we know it's safe, we can start running ads on it. Well, you've already dumped 20% of that, of that content that you're, you're going to miss monetizing. Well, and then the other challenge also is now that we're, ad, we're doing ad injection, you're, you're going to miss 20% of that. Guess what? The advertiser is going to miss that 20%. And I want that 20%. Me too. But, but can't yeah. you put this, I mean, I'm not the technologist, but couldn't you put some sort of moderation space between the podcaster uploading their content and you, you know, opening, it up, opening the gate up, if you will? And again, I don't know. It's easy for me to say it yeah, and hard for you guys it. to do it, I'm sure. Yeah. Because yeah. if, you know, if we're late three minutes from getting a show pu- published when someone is uh, hit publish, it's then our phones explode because yeah. they're, right. it's right. just the way podcasters are. But that's something we'd have to change. You'd have to say, hey, it's going to be 15 minutes before this is live right. because we've had to do the brand safety check or whatever it had to be to be done before we could say, okay, it's good to go. It's got a thumbs up to, to be either programmatic or get the ad insertion. Uh, I've listened to the show you guys did two or three weeks ago where you were, you were live calculating the cost of some of these transcription services and that was really really significant but maybe you know a podcaster has will have to make a choice which is i want to tap into this big money so i'm going to need to fund this kind of strategy or i'll just take the renegade advertiser who's willing to risk it and have fewer opportunities so i do think you know, it's sort of like water finding its level. I do think there's a chance that different strategies will happen and, you know, big shows that are going after big corporate money will kind of take one approach. There'll be a middle group and then maybe this, the group out the long tail was like, I'm not waiting 15 minutes for this moderation check and I'm certainly not paying extra for it and I'll take what I can get. Yeah, you know, I have to tell podcasters that are getting ready to launch on a campaign, we have a call before the campaign kicks off and, and my parting comment with them before we leave is I say, don't be stupid. You know, don't be stupid. You know, don't don't uh, cause me to have to call you and say you're done. You know, nobody wants to make that phone call. I have no. said that. I'm like, guys, don't make me. There was this one time that I had to tell a podcaster, and I told his producer. He's a known like just goes off the rails. I'm like, listen, there's one thing he can't say in this ad, right? And it's the name of my competitor. I don't care what else he says. Right. I don't, what do you think? Two episodes in. And the producer's like, well, he got this look in his eye. I'm like, great. That's, I mean, it is, there's a lot of time where I'm like, you're basically on a bucking Bronco. Hold on. But you're also, you also have the chance, like, 
when you think about Saturday Night Live and these like cultural moments and this touchstone of podcasting, it's like, well, you know, you, you have an opportunity to really take advantage of being embedded in a medium that's culturally relevant. And uh, to your point, there's an authenticity in podcasting that yeah. I think people really respond to. Right. And it's, it's my, my thing is also to your point about the long tail, after a certain point, when we think about monetizing this, it starts to feel to me as an advertiser, and I'm, I'm curious to see what you guys think about this, but it starts to feel to me as an advertiser like we're going to turn this into streaming spoken word audio, right? So we have streaming music, and we buy streaming music with all the platforms that you can think of, you know, your Pandoras and Spotify's, your iHearts, your Cumulus, all that stuff, right? That's mostly music inventory or possibly some right. of their syndicated talk stuff, right? right? But when you think about it, well, if we're going to kind of like disaggregate the host content from the host read, if we're going to do all of this stuff, doesn't that kind of turn this into one big spoken word audio pool of inventory? Mm -hmm. And then that's where you start to get into the technology enablement of, well, if you're treating it all as spoken word inventory and it's essentially your, your slotting produced spots in, you're removing the risk for the brand, right? So you're producing spots. But I would argue the flip is they're way less engaging. Half the time when I talk with advertisers and we're finalizing copy points, I'm like, get all this cute brand crap out of there. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear your voice through the podcaster's mouth. They want to hear the podcaster talk about you. Right. right. But then the, the question becomes when you move to produced audio and when you're, you're putting it across thousands of shows, how do you preserve that connection that has been really, to your point, not for the big advertisers, but for the small to mid-sized advertisers, mm -hmm. that's been their lifeblood in this channel. Yeah, I, yeah. it's, it's a difficult, and it's I think in order to scale, you know, I, I basically almost waved the white flag a little bit and said the solution's programmatic, and that's what we're just going to have to do. The, there's going to be a segment of podcasts that will never get host-read ads. It just yep. won't happen. I've, I've waited a decade for it to happen, and, and it's 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 not coming back. So programmatic is the way ahead for those for that forty seven percent that we are probably never going to be able to get host red ads into. Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah. yeah, yeah, I think the tension really that we're trying to wrestle with is between programmatic and host read, trying to figure out, and really what we're talking about is dynamic insertion versus baked in. That's really what the dilemma is. And to, to really accomplish what we want to do and scale, like Todd was just saying, um, dynamic has really always been the solution for that. Um, but it's also, I think it's a bigger question around how, how you produce that dynamic inserted ad, right? I think there's been a lot of talk about host reads being made um, as pre-recorded, dynamically inserted content. And I believe it can be done. Um, I think the, the, the issue really is, is when it's baked in, that ad lives in the content forever until it's replaced. Now granted, a lot of shows, like Todd will attest, um, have a very short window of publication time, right? But there are certain shows that have long tails, right? That, that it makes sense to trade the ad out, right? Um, and I'm, I'm not sure that it's fair to the content creator to bake in content, bake in ads that live in there forever when they may be able to monetize their long tail. Right? I, I think another aspect with regard to what you're saying is, you know, what's so great about this medium 
is the intensity to which most people pay to their shows. I mean, they listen really, really closely. Right. So when you're listening to these um, dynamically inserted host-read ads, and you're hearing the same one with the same intonation, the same. I mean, we're not fools, right? We know what's happening. We know that's pre-recorded. Well, you need to make different versions. Exactly, and yeah, but that's. I agree. I will tell you, I, I listen to a lot of the shows, and I don't think that's happening. Correct. So you're hearing that same host read. The sec even just the second time you hear it, you know what's going on. Yeah, and so point. you're kind of undoing the theoretical value of this technological solution because we forget that the reason the ads work so well is because people are listening so closely and it's in most cases going directly into their you know, ear, yeah. to their brains through their ears, through yeah. AirPods or, or uh, headphones of some kind. And there's a relationship there that is, again, it's the best thing about the medium, yeah. but I think it requires thinking about advertising in such a different way because you're dealing with a relationship that's unlike right. regular radio spots, regular TV spots, regular you know, digital, et cetera. People do have a higher expectation and, and their BS filters are a little higher, I think, in podcasting or the, the, authentic, the authentic filter, right? They're looking for true... Um, genuine content, right? And it's it's the power of the medium, but as we automate this stuff, it's hard to keep that. I agree. Yeah. I, I've worked in, in media for a long, long time, and I, myself, who should be far more skeptical and far more prepared, I, I have met hosts of podcasts I've listened to and I've fallen under the delusion that I really am friends with these people, right? I mean, right. You, it, the relationship is so intense that you almost get confused by it. Right. And, and even a skeptical person who should know better than I have fallen into this trap. And we have to remember that relationship. And again, that's why the results tend to be so tremendous, but I think it requires thinking about advertising through yeah. that filter. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's in that dynamic, as a content creator, and Rob and I have been content creating podcasts together since 2004. We, you know, we did our separate thing and we've done this show for more than 10 years, but it's when I'm in airports and people walk up to me and say, hey, how you doing? And it's like, they are, they already know you and you're like, yeah. who's this person, right? Yeah. So it's, all, it's, it's not at the same level as a celebrity, but they know me better than celebrity because they're in, they're in my house, you know, they're in deep, you know, so it is this personal relationship. And when I tell them, hey, go buy this because I endorse it, yep. and, and they do, it's because of that personal recommendation. So getting back to your point on the repeat ads, you know, it's when you tell the, um, the media company that wants to run the ad, all right, I need five different sets of talking points because we're going to do new spots every week. Then that's a heavy it's, lift. It's, it's a lift. And yeah. they yeah. oftentimes say, well, run the same ad. Uh, weeks one and four and two and but they don't get it they so you tell them no 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 that's and see that is where um i i was just telling larry a little bit i won't i won't name names to protect the innocent and not so innocent <laughs> but there was this one time i was listening to an interview um with lady gaga and it was about uh, a condition that she has i happen to have it as well i was sitting there i was so engrossed in this podcast and so just emotionally involved and then all of a sudden a weight loss ad came on and the levels were all wrong. It blasted into my ears. And like in the middle of being in tears in this interview, I'm like, are you trying to tell me I have to lose weight? Like, I mean, really, like, it's just, you're like, this is the literal worst possible ad exposure for that advertiser. Right. And so my thing is yeah. the reason 
that advertisers have been willing to pay premium CPMs in this inventory, uh, in this industry for a very long time is because of everything that we've been talking about, right? And so my thing is, regardless of the actual dollar value, we don't need to get into, is it 20, is it 25, I don't know, whatever. My thing is, there's going to be a premium set of inventory where I can pay somebody like you, Todd, to talk about my brand. And that's gonna be, you're always gonna pay a premium for that, right? And I think we can all agree on that. My thing is, there's gonna be a lot of flux in between that premium experience and then essentially syndicated podcasting where we use a produced spot, where it again becomes more about managing frequency caps. And it's again, it's just an inventory source at that point. And so from my perspective, I'm like, well, that means that we're probably looking at streaming music CPMs eventually for this channel. Right, and that's the face that I'm like, do you want that? I always tell people, I'm gonna get in trouble, but I'm like, do you wanna be the buzzfeed of podcasting where you have to put a bunch of ads on one page and write content? It's like, no, I don't don't really wanna monetize that way, right? So my thing is, we're still monetizing this medium in such a way that it means creators can actually have a really good living from this. Um, So I'm I'm a little worried. I mean, that's what happened in the early days of programmatic. It was like $2. I, I know, I was there. <laughs> $2 CPMs, right. I mean, uh, now in programmatic, yeah. you'd kill somebody for a $3 CPM. Yeah. We're, in the, we're below single digits. So that's where when I, I am trying not to be the harbinger of doom in this channel. And what's ironic is with a digital background, I have become a little bit more like, hey guys, could we just be like a little cautious about maybe not ruining this? Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, not, it's not because I'm afraid of technology. I've been using yeah. it since yeah. I've been in media. Yeah. My thing is the one size fits all notion of, okay, well, digital monetize with programmatic. Obviously that's our future and we're gonna do it. It's like, well, we've got a lot of smart people in this industry. You think we could do like a little bit better iteratively? Yeah. I hope. Yeah, but at the same point, Again, I've been waiting a long time to monetize that 47%. I get it. Okay, so five years ago, I would have said, no way will a podcaster take $5 to $12 CPM on programmatic. They won't do it. I think times have changed. And I think at this point, if I can get a podcaster between $5 and $12 on programmatic, that is maybe enough incentive for that content creator to have a little bit of money to at least show maybe a partner, significant other, that, hey, this is actually <laughs> make a little money. I'm not wasting time. Bear with me. Let's get this thing going so we yes. can get to the $25 So you don't CPM. have any personal experience with that, do you? Tom? Not at all. <laughs> no, I mean, but that is, honestly, there is um, there's this one podcast I love, and I always use it as an example. It's called Forever 35. It's a great show. It's hosted by these two women, or they're an absolute rip. And the way that I first monetize, I helped them monetize their show first because I literally slid into the woman's Instagram DMs and was like, you should start a podcast. She's like, I'm starting one. I'm like, great. I'd like to be your first advertiser. And this is when I was in-house as a client. I'm like, I want to be your first advertiser. She's like, great. How do we do this? I'm like, I'll teach you. It's fine. That to me is now, I mean, they're, you know, publishing books. They're, you know, they're, they're really scaled. And I'm like, what an incredible story for this medium that we've minted so many of these incredible content creators. Like, Todd, I'll hold you to it. If you can get some of those hosts for me at those CPMs, there's not a chance in hell that I wouldn't test it. So my thing also is from the ad buyer's perspective, get ready to experiment. We are now in uncharted territory for this medium. But we're not going to get host reads for 5 to 12. We're going to get pre-produced. And that's my thing. So there is... 
going to be, I'll, I will pay five to $12 CPMs for pre-produced media. I will test it and I'll be happy about it. My thing is what's, there's going to be a lot of flux in between that. And when I start to be challenged is when I hear people saying, oh, it's okay. We could just run the same spot across all of it. It's going to be great. It's run of network and it's 35 bucks. I'm like, awesome. So my advertiser happens to sell a product that's worth $15. Let's do math. Three of every thousand people exposed. So you start to do the math and it falls apart. And so my thing is then let's preserve some of the premium parts of this channel for what it needs to be done. But then to your point, let's monetize the rest of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, how do we scale this, escalate CPM models, and escalate the return on investment? I mean, how do we... Those are the two metrics that everybody cares about. Well, it's going to be an escalation of revenue right. at the expense of CPM. Right. I, right. I can almost write the book on that because it's already right. happened. Well, then you got to go wide. In order to, then you have to go wide. Right. That's exactly right. Wide. So it's right. it's a whole, it's like a, a tonnage argument, essentially, at that yeah. point. Yeah. And, and luckily, going wide doesn't mean that we're going to have a lot of overlap of audience. So there's still going to be a yeah. plenty of non-duplicative audience when we go oh, yeah. wide. Oh, yeah. um, even though the category content may be the same, it's just people resonate differently with different hosts, you know? And, and, and another thing, too, that happens being in this space so long is a podcaster will typically only hold a host, uh, hold a listener for so many years before they get tired of them, and, they, and they go listen to somebody else for a couple of years, and then they come back. So yeah. if, you, if you last that long in the space like I have, <laughs> people have come and gone three or four times. But they went somewhere else for those, those years that they were away. So... It's either that, Todd, or you pissed them off, and then yeah, they, well, they finally cooled too. down, and they came back. I <laughs> <laughs> guarantee that's happened. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't think programmatic will ever work with a host thread. Now, again... It doesn't move fast enough. That's no, the it doesn't move fast enough because someone wants to... It, computers are buying this stuff. It's not a human. Many yeah. times. Yeah. Or am I wrong on that? No, no. When you talk about the application of, of programmatic technology to the medium, this is when I, if, it's going to become a played-out joke. But remember the Princess Bride when he's saying you keep using that word? I do not think it means what you think it means. That's the word programmatic right now in podcasting. It doesn't exist yet. I, as an advertiser, there is no real-time bidding and buying. There's no exchange on which I can openly see and transact on media, right? What we're really talking about are private marketplaces, which is, have existed for a long time with or without the application of technology. Well, the only reason CPMs have gone up with programmatic is because there's been a lack of inventory. Well, that's yeah. the other part of it that right. I keep reminding people. I'm like, so right. guys, the reason we advented programmatic technology and display is because there was essentially an infinite, like an infinite amount of inventory. In right. podcasting, there is not. I like to say, let's just say you record 50 shows a year, right? right? right. You're recording once a week, 50 shows a year. Let's say you sell three mid-rolls and maybe a pre. That's 150 to 200 ads a year, and then you're sold. That's why the top few thousand shows that we buy, half the time they're sold out. And that's really when you start to think about the, the technology that has been applied to this channel and how far we have to go until we get yeah. to an open, transparent marketplace, that's when I'm like, we're not programmatic yet. We don't yeah. have the right to use that word yet. Right. It excites me when the inventory is sold out the top because then folks like you have to go looking down. I, I like to remind all of the people at the top 
but that I am very down? happy. But are you looking down? Oh a lot? God, yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah, I would but say is that being of... done widely in the industry? Uh, I think there's always going to be. Are, but... Yeah. So I, I, I think that's. I think yeah. you're rare. <laughs> I. <laughs> Yeah, I am a rare breed uh, in many ways. Um, no, it, it's you know it's funny that you say that because if there are some agencies where if you hand me a media plan, I could probably tell you which agency put it together because they use the same playbook. Right. And that's where I sit there and I'm like, dude, like there's got to be something better than X Y Z show. Like you got to kind of go out there and put the work in. So like, no, you're not advantaged when there's lazy media planners and buyers in the medium. Right. Um, but that's kind of the way that we do it differently is we put senior talent on every single product uh, project that we work on. And so these people know, okay, you know what? I'm going to go really deep on real estate for this. And I'm going to go and I'm going to find these onesie twosie networks, the smaller shows, the downloads. You have to look in that direction because often long tail or longer tail, right? Your 10, 25, 50,000 download podcasts, those are your crankers. Their listeners will buy what they are what they but, are selling. But there's right. something too that I know about small shows. Small shows are more intimate with their audience. They may yep. know a percentage of their show's audience by name. Correct. So that intimacy drives higher ROI. They actually yep. perform better even though they're smaller. And this is the thing that always has got me is sometimes I've seen the bigger shows underperform smaller shows just because of that intimacy factor. Well, also the ad load. Those larger shows are getting loaded up with ads. Um, Yeah, we actually contract against that. So if, if, yeah, I, so if, if a show has more than four mid rolls, we don't want to appear in it. Right. Um, Because candidly, to your point, let's just say you have an hour of content. Mm -hmm. How are you squeezing four mid roll advertisements into that? And so then my fear starts to be, eventually, we can't get scared when Larry comes and tells us and, and Tom Webster comes and tells us, like, hey, uh, listenership's dropping. It's like, right. well, I can't imagine why. It's Every ad sh- load. That's I know what my show can handle. <laughs> I know when the audience starts going down just based on ask, ad load. So, Larry, you guys have been looking at this a lot. Yeah. Are, are we at, uh, have we blown ad load out of proportion on these bigger shows? Well, there's definitely concern about that. I know we did that super listener study where the most intensive listener, people who are listening a lot, seem to be noticing it more and more. And, being more, you know, we've spoiled people as well, you know, and they're not used to hearing that much ad inventory. And certainly by comparison to what broadcast radio has, even the most egregious shows are tiny by comparison, um, you know, because broadcast radio is doing 12 to 15 minutes of spots per hour, you know, 40 units and things like that. So it's, there's like nothing that compares remotely in this world. But again, it gets back to that intensity of listening. You know, they're listening differently to podcasts than they are listening to broadcast radio. So it merits the higher CPMs, but it also means the relationship can be abused more. Uh, I mean, I think broadcast radio has abused the relationship in many ways, yeah. but um, there, there's much lower standard of abuse. People's expectations are higher, so they're gonna feel abused more quickly. But per your question, the technical, your question, I mean, there's so many different approaches still. And I think a lot of that is just going to shake out. I mean, I think individual shows might really hurt themselves if the listening experience is, is problematic enough. You know, and when I hear shows where literally in the middle of a word, spots are cutting in and things like that, and where the spots are either, I've listened to shows often from really big professional producers 
where the spots are much higher or often much softer than the rest of the content. And it's just really annoying. I mean, even if it's softer, softer is less of a problem than, than louder, but you know, the, uh, it's still just a not uh, ideal listening experience. So, you know, I think I'm, I'm not quite as concerned about it because I don't think of it like, oh, we're doing this, we're all doing that. There will be the better producers and the better, the more professional operations that smooth this stuff out, that think about their audiences, that react to the data that they see. And then there'll be others who are more short-term in their thinking maybe and blow it for themselves. I think traditionally, though, the audiences, and again, I'm showing myself being the old dog here. Traditionally, the audiences were, well, if we really go back, there was anti-advertising in the early days. I mean, like visceral anti. Now, I think audiences expect it. It even goes further than that, right? Huh? It even goes further than that. The, the ads that were placed, the, the host reads were beating up the advertisers. Yeah. It oh, it still happens. Yeah. Right. It my still dirt, happens? I'll take my dirt. Oh, my dirty money? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially, I mean, part of it's some of the content. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling Bill Burr today. But, like, when Bill Burr starts questioning the life choices that have led him to read this ad in front of him, it's hysterical. Right. 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 But, I mean, it still happens. There's definitely still a sentiment of, like, oh, the advertising. The money. advertiser needs to have a sense of humor is what you're saying. I, I think, like, again, it's podcasting. <laughs> it's just, you know. Right. I, right. This is where, to your point, you're like, I would hope that these people retired. It's like, well, yeah, and, and a lot of these companies are newer companies, and they, they kind of yeah. get it. But, yeah, yeah. no, it's, right. you're still like, okay, I mean, I can take my money somewhere else. And it's like, no, 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 the money's okay. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I want to make good on that. Right. But, yeah. but, again, I think. <laughs> we try to do that as right, little as possible. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> want to get yeah. it right the first time so we don't have to make good. <laughs> yeah, right. But not to insult the radio people that are listening or watching right now, but we don't want to be radio. Well, radio is a different medium. I know, but we don't want ad loads at radio ad loads levels. Well, that's why podcasting exists is because <laughs> well, it's a reaction to over-commercialization. I, I totally yeah. hear what you're saying. Yeah. But let's suppose that the day the show that people could tolerate people could tolerate that many ads or maybe like I highly highly doubt this would ever be the case right. but let's suppose that people kept loading ads and they saw no reduction in listening they saw no where they have that kind of direct feedback no increase in skipping um, then maybe you would want to be radio right because you're monetizing to a higher level I think you are correctly presuming that that level of load would make the listening experience very negative and it would sort of make the whole medium seem more negative and that would be problematic. So I, I understand your yeah. point, yeah. but I think we should experiment with different approaches. And I think over time, that experimentation will lead to different results. Yeah, do we think if we look to the future of this medium um, and, and look at the younger generation coming up, do we think that the younger generation coming up is more ad tolerant? No. Or ad intolerant? So uh, yesterday, Laura Ivey, who works with us at Edison, gave a presentation. And uh, you know, we have this study we do called Share of Ear, which is tracking the entire audio right. space. Right. And we've been doing it since 2014. And she showed, and we were able to see the percentage of all audio consumption that is ad supported and all audio consumption that is ad free. Right. And the percentage of people's time that has, has the, the amount that is ad-free has grown dramatically. So people are willing to spend money 
to buy their way out of advertising. And right. they, that pace is much faster right. among 13 to 34 year olds. This is the answer to your question. Right. Much faster among 13 to 34 year olds than it is among 35 plus who are probably more tolerant of higher loads and more ads. So you know, the, the evidence is clear that the, the younger people are less ad tolerant. Again, I, in general, think that is good for podcasting where they have mm-hmm. been very careful with how much load they put on there and often take time to make incredibly great ads that are part of the content that you want to listen to. So maybe that's a revenue opportunity, ad-free podcasts. Well, you pay that, a little extra for that. Oh, you're joking, because obviously that's already here. Oh, and yes. very much so. I yeah. mean, if you look at the market in China, that's most of how they, yeah. uh, how they monetize. So, mm-hmm. But to that point, what's really interesting is I can't tell you how many times I've even chatted with coworkers and everything. Podcasts get us these jaded ass marketing professionals. And I'm like, oh my God, I do want that thing. Like it really gets you because of that endorsement style. And it's so, if you have a bullshit filter, which everybody does, right? Right. And and we're gonna say, let's just say 13 to 34 year olds have a more refined BS filter because they've been exposed to digital advertising for, I mean, it's just, it's intense. But then it's, then that's when I say, well, this is why podcasting is really one of the older forms of influencer marketing. Mm because you're talking about influential human beings who you listen to. Um, And actually that that show that I mentioned earlier, they did a a listener survey and they said, do you guys want us to go no ads and just go listener supported? And everybody's like, no, I like the product recommendations. You guys pick them for us and they're so great. And And I'm like, what? As an advertiser, I'm like, this is great. You guys, I hope this never changes because I, we need to find a place and, and how to reach those skeptics. I'm fond of telling people, yeah. how are you going to reach me? Do you think it's going to be radio? you think it's going to be TV? To a lesser extent. Mm-hmm. You know what I spend most of my time listening and watching? Twitch, YouTube, and podcasts. Right. At, and I may... That's what I shift my consumption to, too. I'm, I'm not watching mainstream television anymore. Right. And so in these mediums, yeah. when you, if you go on TikTok, you're like, oh, like influencer content, yeah. it's pretty transparent when it's, you know, hashtag ad and all of that stuff. So from my perspective, that style of marketing works really well for 13 to 34. And so my thing is, great, we already have that built into podcasting. Let's just scale it without screwing it up. You know, I, I always tell podcasters too if if an advertiser is being presented to you and you get the ick factor or it, it tastes funny in the back of your mouth that's the that's the podcast ad you want to walk away from because Correct. your audience is going to smell that so fast and they're going to like yeah. oh you're going to lose out. credibility and you, and you lose credibility right? or so. you can tell when they're reading from the ad and this is very much this is about that product and they sell that widget it's like wow. hey guys we yeah. can tell yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. and so can the audience yeah so speak or from the heart yeah yes so so let's let's move on this is similar topic to move into but um, just wanted to say do you think that we need to have podcast ad standards as a pathway here of some sort, do we need to, you know, um, think about this? I think know? individual companies are I mean, going already have standards and are, are going to have standards, right, but, and that'll be part of what across, they sell across the industry. Spot stands, spot formats, frequency, kind of recommendations. There, obviously, people are going to do what they're going to do in this space. This has always been a space about stray cats running in different directions. <laughs> so it's just a matter. Of, it's kind of like what we did with the IEB with the podcast metrics. Right. 
right? Is have some guidelines, right? Some idea of best practices, right, in this area. But they're not something that somebody's going to get in trouble for, but for not doing. But, but you know, how to track customer conversions, how to target better um, in a privacy-sensitive environment, right? Uh, does the industry need to come together and do that? I don't know. Well, what do you think, Larry? I, I, all industries typically benefit from having industry bodies right. that guide them. We're here at the NAB. That's exactly what this is. It's an industry uh, organization that, that gets together for a variety of reasons, but a big part of it is keeping the straight cats or whatever you called it organized. And um, so why wouldn't podcasting want to have similar level of organization and communication and um, power that is created by having industry organizations. So, you know, I think it's really unlikely that you could have hard and fast rules, but to use your word, to have guidelines, to have suggestions, best practices, absolutely. And we should push for as much of that as we can get. Do you think we have, uh, Todd, what, what's your thought too? Do you think we, we have the early kind of guidelines for that? The Kind of like what we had in the early days of podcasting around metrics? Or yep. is our things just completely all over the map. No, because you can tell a podcaster to do a 60-second ad and he goes on for three minutes. No, there is, I don't think there's... I love that. You don't, I don't think there's... <laughs> I'll bet you do. I sure yeah. do. I, Those are the best ads. When they make up right. a song about you, right. oh, it's so right. good. I, I think this space is... Uh, you're dealing with individual creators that have different levels of passion for a different level of product, and they're going to rave on stuff that they love, and they're going to shortchange stuff they hate. Yeah. So I think that it's, uh, it's, I think it's going to be very, it's, on the host endorse side, host red, I think it's going to be hard to have a standard. You know, I guess, I don't know. I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's a big challenge. Don't you think that we kind of benefit, though, from saying, like, okay, if we've got 30 minutes of content, X amount of minutes of ads is probably good enough. You know, it's the same way that if you look at what right. the IAB has done in internet advertising, it's like, well, there's standard ad units, right? You can still do customized anything you want until you're blue in the face, but in order to access scale, right, you gotta have a 300 by 250, you gotta have a 728 by 90. I'm probably gonna date myself if I mention any other ad formats, but like, you know what I mean? It's, you're gonna have to have some, some sort of something. Um, my thing is, you know, I, I worry a little bit that with with the absence of any guidelines, um, actually Brian Barletta from Sounds Profitable cracked me up. He's like, if I hear this one LASIK ad one more time on this podcast I listen to, I'm like, we're going to read about you in the news. Like, because you just, you get crazy when you just get to your point about, well, I can tell when the ad is being repeated. Right. We as advertisers coach a lot on that. I'm like, guys, people remember them. Because they listen to your show from A to Z, from minute one to minute 70, they remember your ads. You do have to cut new ads. You do have to give enough talking points to where people can kind of produce their own stuff and also give the freedom to say, this is what you've got to hit so that people actually know that you're selling coffee and not cars, <laughs> but like, have fun otherwise, right? And I'm, I'm definitely the unicorn in this particular topic in that I've had the same advertiser for for 15 years in every episode, and they still renew. But I still perform. And which advertiser is that? I, 
we're not going to we're going to have to do that here. <laughs> but have but, you been running the same ad for well, 15 years? That was no, it's, there. it's because there's no script, and I know the price, right. so all I can change it up every. But sometimes there might be a little running home to mama if I'm tired, and it may have some duplicate Absolute, to it. That's what the script's for. So that's um, what it's for. I think in the end, um, as long as the ad performs and the advertiser's happy, I, I don't care how it's delivered. As long as the advertiser gets his value and the podcaster gets paid. Do we also think that the advertiser agency needs to do, a, I guess, a better job of communicating to the content creator um, the, the performance of their advertising? Oh, yeah. So uh, we're very transparent in this. Yeah. Um, we very much believe in anonymizing and sharing campaign results. You know, there's going to be... Listen, we work with a million proprietary companies with a ton of MNDAs and all of that good stuff. So there's going to be only so much we could share, right? Mm -hmm. My model is a little different where we're we're not an agency. We actually don't buy on a commission basis. We embed. And so we're like a direct advertiser, essentially, just consultants. And so when you think about how um, that advertiser is investing, and I literally just blanked on your question. Could you repeat it? Oh, it's just... um the advertising side of things, make, making sure they communicate oh, to the make content sure we're communicating results about the results of the campaigns, because sometimes that doesn't happen. Well, and that, so that infuriates me as a marketer, because I'm like, right. there is, by openly sharing as much as you can, I have had so many publishers come to me, and if I say, hey guys, we're about 20% off of our goal, and here's why. We need to make some changes to creative. Mm-hmm. Here's what we actually need to do. Also, like, can you work with me on rate? Because I, I tested it at, you know, close to rate card, but this advertiser can't support that. You still want to run the ad? Can we work on this? And that to me, that's when it's, you can't just buy this channel as though you're buying widgets, right? Right. Yeah. You, there's got to be a relationship there. And to your point, um, and thank you for repeating the question, to your point, there is a, a requirement almost on the advertiser end where you get out what you put in, right? Right. So for the for the people and the publishers that care, absolutely engage with them and share as much as you possibly can, right. recognizing not every agency is in a position to do that. Not every advertiser is in a position to do that. But well, and it may not be in their best financial interest to do that either, right? Because a campaign that's highly successful, then that content creator is going to want to hire CPM for that, right? But then, but then also, if we want to keep buying that inventory, isn't right. it up to the advertiser to pay a higher CPM? Right. Which, there. Uh, here's what's interesting. So we we work on behalf of something like 50 clients right now. I have vastly different rates for some of these shows, and you might think, oh well, you know, you want an agency to aggregate pricing, blah blah. blah. There's this one show that we buy for a fertility advertiser, and the host usually sells it at about four thousand an episode, thousand um, dollars. This one advertiser gets it for twenty five hundred, and it's a small advertiser, and it was this one off deal we negotiated because that woman feel so strongly about this advertiser that she was like, no, I just, I I really want to work with them. And so my thing is, shouldn't we recognize and understand that that's going to happen? And then on the flip side of it, deeper integration, longer integrations, like brands should be, when you find a show that you can go hard on, like duration is big. Duration. You know, we, we actually, we're very fond of buying upfronts in a show. And my thing is like, let's guarantee that in, like, let's guarantee that sale for that right. show for that year. Right. It, and also at the same point, from my side of the fence, it oftentimes when you talk with uh, maybe they are not a represented company, maybe they're just coming in the door and want to do some ads. 
And how many, it amazes me how many companies, and it's not our problem, but how many companies do not know what their ROI should be. They have not nary a clue. If, they, if, if they're gonna spend a thousand, should they get 50 transactions or should they get 10? And it just, that blows me away a lot that so many companies just have no clue whatsoever what their ROI actually should be. But so oftentimes we have to find out what it is. Well, yeah, that, and the challenge that, is the brand advertisers. There may well, not brand be a advertisers, direct, direct ROI. I mean, brand advertisers, I remember waiting until the next year and getting my market research back and being like, all right, we move the needle three points. Like, you know, you're talking about when you're when you're advertising commodities, essentially as a brand, you're I mean, you're looking at a much longer horizon, a longer time horizon. You know, the the P&G CMO's famous quote about I know half my advertising works. I just don't know which half. Selling toilet paper. Yeah. I mean, you know, so so that's where it's like. The, I would actually say, Todd, to your point, like there's, um, it, it really is on the advertiser to know that. And that's candidly, there are some new advertisers that we work with where we're like, okay, well, what's our, our cost per acquisition goal? And they're like, we don't know yet. And we're like, great, I can help you set that goal. And let's start with the absolute like, okay, dollar in, dollar out, CAC to LTV ratio, let's do this thing. And so part of it's also on the, the agency and the ad buyers to kind of step in and be like, all right, we've got some fundamentals that we need to focus on. If we don't know what good looks like, how are you supposed to hit that? That's right. Right, right. That's a good point. We want to switch up topics a little bit here, sure. Rob? go ahead. Um, so let's talk about radio. You know, it wasn't too long ago, radio, we'd go to a radio event and, and have a podcast session and everyone would go out and get a beer. You know, they, <laughs> <laughs> and now the radio people, when we're at radio events, the rooms are full because they, they're listening now. And I'm glad they are. So it seems like many of the radio companies are trying to convert podcasting with a vertical integration to be more like online radio business. So where do we, where do we kind of see that going? You know, you know, iHeart makes all kinds of claims and others do as well. But um, you know, I guess where do we think that's going to go with radio? Larry, do you have any thoughts? Well, on you know, I, I listen to you guys regularly and... and um, you've always expressed what seems to me to be a concern about this sort of creeping influence of the big radio uh, companies. Um, and, and I get why you, why you have that concern, but I've, I've always, at least from my perspective, thought that concern was at least a little bit misplaced. I don't think they're at all in the position to sort of destroy podcasting. And I, that always seems to be what you're implying uh, you're concerned about. Um, and Lord knows they've not done it yet. I mean, I think we could agree yeah. with that. Um, the the radio companies, and they're used to a certain modality of business, and so they do come at it their way. And I think that's understandable. That's the business they're in. And they're realizing in many cases that they can't do podcasting exactly the way they did uh, do radio and have done radio but by the same token they're probably going to try to mingle it a little bit in the direction of the way they've done business for all these years. The other thing to bear in mind is when you look at the whole world of American radio, very little of it was podcastable um, now public radio was filled with oh. fantastic content that would easily turn and very very successfully turn into podcasts but yeah. most of broadcast radio most of commercial broadcast radio is music radio and with little hosting things in the middle of it etc and that's not 
podcastable content. So they've had to go out and acquire a lot of the content that they're using. Which is what they've done. Yeah, yeah because yeah. they had nothing native that they could turn into podcasts. And so in that sense, a lot of what they've acquired were people who grew up in podcasting or podcasting people, podcasting yeah. executives, et cetera. So they've pretty rapidly sort of learned that this is not the same and they can't do it quite the same. So I've, I've always felt, I, I get why you guys do what you do on the show yeah. and sort of express this concern about sure. big radio coming in and wrecking podcasting. I've never shared your level of concern with it. And again, as long as it's growing, right? At least on the revenue side, and I think it'll start growing again on the listener side. Mm-hmm. There's not that much to worry about. If it stops growing and then it becomes a fight for a, for a set pool of money, then I would maybe see why you guys were as concerned as you are. I don't know if I'm worried about radio coming in and taking over, but I get frustrated when radio tries to apply a complete radio model to podcasting because knowing what works, I would just wish they could adopt some of the stuff that we'd, and, you know, and they've got great talent. Let's be, let's be frank. We're a, a single or $2 billion business and radio is, you know, many, many, many multiples of that. So uh, what am I to really, um, to try to educate on how they do content and podcasts. But I think they could adopt, you know, if, if it's like morning drive, take out the drive part and, and bring in, you know, those segments that they've had someone come in locally or the sports segment. Or, you know, those are like pieces of gold, I think, that radio could really take advantage of. But again, that takes a producer, it takes time, it takes editing, and it takes staff. And if they're not fully monetizing that, I can understand why maybe they don't. Well, and they have limited ability, American commercial radio has limited ability to really, you know, invest too deeply in all of that because, you know, they are that, they are that, living that challenge every day of having these legacy businesses that are not growing and so they have to find growth elsewhere and so it's this endless game of where do you put your resources and how do you, how do you continue to fly the plane while rebuilding the plane from inside at the very same time. It's an extreme challenge that they're living with but, it makes sense why, if they're looking for growth, they have seized upon yeah. podcasting as a, as a place for that. Yeah, and they've also gone out and acquired pot, peer play podcasting companies to add to their mix uh, because they may not have had the talent that understood the medium internal, right? Right. So it, it, it makes sense. But there's kind of two sides to it. There, there's the, the online radio folks um, or the broadcast folks that are doing stuff online, and then there's the streaming platforms or the the audio online platforms, what do you call it? I think we're almost creating a new category of, of platform o- online. It's not podcasting, it's not online radio, it's not really online streaming. It's kind of like this, I don't know, if we're moving fast towards just online audio or something like that, you know what I'm saying? Because everything is kind of converging on itself. I mean, even audiobooks is now, I consider kind of part of the podcast space because what's the difference between a fictional story um, that's a podcast that's a premium paid thing versus an audiobook, right? I mean, the lines are blurring on all this stuff so fast. Right. The other thing to keep in mind about American radio is most of it is local. And so even if you right. have a fantastic show in Philadelphia talking about the Eagles, and yes, there's people all over the country who care about the right. Eagles, are going to want to listen to it to some extent, but the overwhelming majority of people who care are in Philadelphia. And that's a different business than generally what we're talking about here, which is mostly yeah. selling ads nationally. 
And I, and I think from that point, we've seen, and I know Rob's very pro-local, centralized, regional podcasting, but we've not seen a lot of success in those local, regional, dedicated shows. I think there's an opportunity, but I don't think someone's completely tapped it yet. I agree with that from an advertiser perspective. I get asked all the time, like, are, is, is podcasting really right for local advertisers? Because, um, you know, there's a tipping point for national advertisers whereby media becomes more effective right. when you're in a certain number of markets. Even if there's waste, you still buy national because it's more effective uh, or more efficient, rather. So for me, I'm like, gosh, that'd be amazing if there were some sort of local podcasting play that you could really make it scale. Um, that that's super compelling but to your point i don't think it exists yeah it's 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 all micro audiences right now exactly it, yeah yeah, so, yeah yeah except takes, for a couple of breakout shows here and yeah. there you know yeah i know that there was a formation of a of a network called citycast here re- recently that was started from um i think david plotz uh from slate uh has started a, a platform to to build kind of news local news as a podcast format uh I think he's still expanding that, but but I think that there is a play as you look to the future, and I know TuneIn is another platform that's catered to local radio um, on the online streaming side, and I know they're getting more heavily into podcasts, and I think they have an interest in the, the geolocation type you know, podcasts from Chicago or from Las Vegas or something like that. But it doesn't necessarily have to be from Las Vegas to be targeted on an advertising campaign. I know I used to work for Podcast One and we, we used to target um, AutoZone ads to the, the Southeast through yeah. dynamic ad insertions. So, yeah. so you could just run campaigns just to that region or that city or where they happen to have a bunch of shows. The other thing that's happened, I think because of the pandemic, is a lot of local businesses have shut down, right? Yeah. So. Everything has become more national and consolidated, and I think that's only kind of making it more difficult for local radio. I mean, I, I think it's also to the point that you mentioned a little a little while ago. It's like, well, what is online audio? I, I, I have personally had a theory for a number of years that eventually all of this is going to flatten. It's going to be audio, it's going to be video, and it's going to be display. Because even it's happening right now. Yeah. What's a TikTok influencer right. who's a YouTuber are they a podcaster? And right. you're like, well, the answer is yes. The answer is they're on all of these things yeah. all does, the time. Does listener care about the distinction? I don't do you, think they right. do anymore. Do you care? I you know, what the data showing. It's right. like this show. We live stream it on YouTube, Twitch, right. Twitter, everywhere. Right. We're a podcast. So, so how do I categorize this? The only thing that this? we're not doing is radio. So maybe, right. maybe, maybe that's the next thing, Todd, as we go. Yeah, or maybe we have to become radio. TikTok stars and dance in front of the camera. I would literally love to see the two of you do like a good TikTok oh, dance yeah, routine. Absolutely. Well, all TikTok has to do is offer content that's an hour and a half long. So well, there you go. That's, that's all they need you- to do. We found a new business model for TikTok right. on the hey, stage. Rob, you will destroy the time machine that TikTok has <laughs> is created. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, I wanted to also throw this out too, and this is a little corollary to the advertising business too. But we we more and more are moving towards calling podcast downloads audiences. And I, I know you have a very, uh, Christina, you have a very opinionated thought on this. Uh, and others in the podcasting space and on the radio side are thinking about this too because advertisers want to buy audience. They don't want to buy downloads, right? 
And th there's this effort to actually get rid of downloads and as a, as, as a concept in the metrics. And, and I know Todd and I bristle at this because we've, we've been in the medium a long time, sure we're OGs. We've worked on the metric standards as being downloads, but yet everybody wants to shift everything to audiences. What do you guys think about that? He said you have an opinion, a strong opinion, so I want to hear it first. <laughs> Larry, the, the thing is that anybody who is actually watching this and knows me is like, no, she's opinionated? Get yeah. out of here. Wow. Um, but no, it, it's because, so having a digital background, I still very much tune in to what the rest of the industry is doing. Right. And so from where I sit, I'm like, guys, with the advent of iOS 14.5 and now iOS 15, you're looking at probably the least accurate targeting that digital media has yeah. enjoyed since the beginning of its inception. Right. So the race towards audience-based buying and podcasting... And it could get worse. Oh, it's going to get worse. I mean, cookies yeah. are being deprecated by Google next year. And Apple may be doing things, too. Apple already yeah. has private relay. Right. Right. And again, this is where I get, I'm like, hey, you guys, what medium has historically had mostly iOS consumption? Do we think maybe that people are subscribed to iCloud? So this is where I start to get uh, a little ornery because I'm like, guys, Facebook, from an accuracy perspective right now, has never been less accurate from a precision targeting perspective. So right. my thing is, if we agree that third-party data is deprecating, how challenging is it going to be to definitively buy audiences in the space in right. 12 to 18 months? Right. I'm going to need to see everything on all of your data sources. This is where also I don't have the level of transparency that I want from publishers today. I want more transparency. I want to know, like I, I'll get into privacy policies and stuff. I'll get, I'll get gnarly. But that's where when I sit here and I'm like, okay, we can shift to audience-based buying to a certain extent. But how? How are we defining audiences? How are we buying audiences? Um, how are we aggregating or disaggregating audiences? And the answer is we don't have the tech in this space to really effectively buy audiences at scale yet. But and part of that is because we're on an RSS feed. Like, let's just, you know, you guys are OGs, but guess what? A lot of the technology is still pretty OG. It is. So yeah. when you think about it, you're like, okay, well, we're going to try and, like, run a Lamborghini on roads that are full of potholes. So, and, and even because RSS itself is a disaggregated open source medium. Right. It's like, okay, well, when you think about platforms like Google and Facebook that have excelled with audience targeting, it's a closed platform. It's a closed loop. It's yeah. their, they own the stack yeah. from top yeah. to bottom. And much as but, you, I hear you defend the download, I mean, you guys did an episode uh, several ago where you talked about two different download counters who produce wildly different results from each right. other. And on top of which, we know that all forms of digital advertising can be manipulated in different ways, some more ethical than others. Um, and for, beyond all of that, the download as a proxy statistic for actual listening is getting less and less useful. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a very active podcast listener. I subscribe to dozens and dozens of podcasts. They tend to feed overnight. I wake up in the morning. There's half a dozen, eight, ten new podcasts that have all downloaded into my player. I know I'm not going to have time for all of them. I might wish I could, but I know right. I can't. So I'm swiping away half of them or two-thirds of them. And I can't be the only one doing that. No. Right. And, and so I think the main justification for the download is what you said, because it's always been the right. metric that we use. Right. I think 
you know, we're working very hard on survey-based uh, data. So, and we understand that that's not going to measure way out in the long tail that we spend so much time yep. talking about. But at the head of the tail, we're now producing really, really good statistics that is survey-based and really, really solid. And the question we're asking is, what podcasts do you listen to? Not, yeah. or did you listen to? Not, um, not uh, how many podcasts did you download? Because right. the advertisers at the end of the day- Are buying audiences. They, they want people to have heard the spots, not right. just downloaded right. them right. into a player and swiped them away. And right. that's where like the, I don't, I think we're conflating two different things actually, because I think the download is a metric, whether it's download, listen, whatever the hell you want to call it. I think that is one thing and, and that, to your point, the download has gotten less accurate. There is, you know, there's, there's automatic downloads, all that good stuff. But for me, it's like, regardless of what we're transacting on, I think to your point, there is this push towards audience-based buying. And so for me, it's like, whatever metrics we agree to transact on in this space, I think we're all hungry for, let's have the most accurate metrics that we can, right? Yeah. Um, but even if we agree to transact on that, is it, are we buying shows and content? Are we buying audiences? Are we doing both? Um, because when you do audience-based buying, there's a certain amount of content agnosticism yeah. that, that happens because you're like, listen, I don't care if I'm reaching so-and-so in X content. Like, I just need to reach that woman 35 to 44 who's got a kid and a dog and lives here. Like, that is the audience-based buying that I'm talking about to your point, I think we're all really hungry for, for yeah, right. better metrics, but I don't think yeah. any of us know what that actually is going to look know, like. I used it's you know I just keep running home to mama, but it, it was like I always called it a trifecta of data. Okay, the podcaster, who do you think your audience is? And we'd mm. we'd have a questionnaire, and they would fill that out, and then I'd say I'd have the download data, and then we'd run an audience survey, a simple one, you know, fifteen questions, just a basic demographic. But that really gives you just kind of this brush. It doesn't give you the fine pencil that you're looking for to be able to say, yeah, that audience is largely 18 to 35 single women uh, with uh, no kids. Um, it gives you a general, a general look. So we can get that now, but I don't think we can get as deep as you want without doing this IP privacy invasive well, down that's to an what's address happening. that's what's happening and that yeah. so that is from where i sit when we think about like how do we self-regulate as an industry before regulations come for us i sit here and i go okay well then are we talking about that style of audience-based buying or are we talking about right. survey basis because candidly i feel actually a lot better about that as an advertiser from a privacy perspective mm -hmm. now there is there are third-party data plugins. There's a lot of people that do this really above board. Yeah. There's a lot that do not. And there's a lot in between. And so this is where, I, from where I sit, it's like, to a certain extent, yes, I, I do want to buy an audience, but I can buy an audience effectively in other mediums. I, I would like to buy audiences effectively in this one, but for right now, we actually index less on audiences and less on like, I gotta reach this person. It, for me, it's, I don't really care if you're you or me or him or them. I really don't care if you're listening to this show about, my gosh, I don't even know. Whatever if you're listening topic. to this show, right? Right, right? If you're listening to the new media show and I want to reach you because you are really engaged and really listening to this, do I actually care what your demographics are? Be honest with you, I don't think so. Exactly. Yeah. 
So then that's my question is, okay, but if we're going to introduce audience and demographic style buying into podcasting, guess what? Then we need your Edison's, your Nielsen's, your Comscores, your et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to, to come in and actually validate the space, like your MRIs, your Kantar and MRIs. I never thought that I'd be crying out for Kantar and DoubleClick and all of these things that I left behind in general advertising. And now I'm like, yeah, if you want me to do demographic-based reach and frequency planning, like, right. yes, I do actually need that. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and this is what makes a podcasting space unique is probably the first time that advertisers can't get all the information they want. And being kind of honest with you, I kind of like that because <laughs> um, I think we're already in, invaded a lot. But at, to, to, the, uh, to play devil's advocate, I've asked my audience before, if I was to do some sort of IP-based tracking and figure out who you really are, what would your reaction to that be? And about 50% of them said, we're cool, we're already being tracked by Amazon and everyone else. The other 50% were like, no, but in the back of my head, I'm like, well, they've already opted in yeah. for everything else. Right, 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 but right. the challenge is, is we can't opt podcasters in. So I've always thought that if we had a mechanism to opt people in, maybe that would help but i don't know i don't there's yeah. there's it's gonna be hard i mean look at the web experience we've basically turned the web with accepting and denying cookies we turned the web back into GeoCities. so i i actually like yes to a certain extent but then it's like okay what's the consumer experience when you're forcing people to make all of these choices about their privacy right. eventually people are just going to be like uh why are you doing like we're we're probably heading towards some sort of Consum- level of consumer awareness, governmental awareness, etc. You're starting to hear more about regulating the way that we transact and deal with private data online. Um, and that's actually where, for me, I look at podcasting as a bulwark. I'm like, oh, this is great. I don't have to think about literally any of that if I'm an advertiser. We're even finding... so. You guys know how we use survey-based methodology, promo code, and how did you hear about us, and that old game. I literally just had a conversation with an advertiser yesterday where they're like, oh, we're starting to use that survey-based methodology to figure out my digital attribution. Wow. And I went, well, would you look at that? Because pixel-based methodology for them on the Facebook end, it doesn't have the stat sig that it used to. And so they're like, well, I've got to figure out a different way to cobble this together. And so you're starting to see people talk about zero-party data and what does that look like when it's a human volunteering that information to you. Um, And I I think that's going to be part of the future. There's always going to be big business and monetizing and and scaling user data. Well, there may be something to the blockchain that's going to maybe help this too where more and more users own their access to their data I don't know I mean if if that has a piece here too that the the listener can can basically through this new interchange of information be able to share a willingness to opt in um, but it, I mean if we don't do something like that we're, we're going to move towards um, more proprietary platforms yeah. um, and we're already starting to see that development right now uh, because the advertisers are going to want that level of data that a proprietary login platform can only provide. Open RSS is, because of that, is a little bit, I think, in the long run, under threat. Um, because we can't do that with Open RSS right now. There may be a way of doing it, but it's going to take us all working together. It's going to take a long time, and it's going to take us working together. And that actually, to your point about Open RSS versus a closed platform, that's when, when I think of some of the barriers to scale in this business, yeah. it's going to be one of them. Well, it's also what makes the medium yeah, I mean, special. It, 
also gets into exclusives too. I mean, look, yes. look at Joe Rogan is a great ex example of this, right? He was on open distribution. He built his show over many years. He did a licensing deal with Spotify. And there was, I think that there was a decline in his influence uh, for some period of time until he got controversial and then then he, he picked it up again. But, but exclusives, if people start uploading their content directly to these listening platforms, right? And we're starting to see a little bit of that happen with premium content now. Um, so yeah. as much as I want to continue this conversation for the next are three we hours, we, we, are, we, are, we are very close wow, out of time. Wow, we are out of time. But we want to continue the conversation with you at newmediashow.com. Come over and follow or subscribe. In our closing minutes, I want to give Larry and Christina both an opportunity to give their plugs, how to reach out to them. So, Larry, I'll let you go first. Yeah, well, I'm Larry Rosen. Uh, you can find me info at edisonresearch.com uh, or um, through the various socials. Just look for Edison Research. Right. Uh, you could find me at rightsideup.com. If you want to reach out to me directly, it's just Christina at rightsideup.com. And I am always down to talk about this stuff. Uh, I, I know you are, yeah. <laughs> and uh, my name is Rob Greenlee. And uh, I can be found on, on Twitter, um, at Rob Greenlee. And if you want to send me an email, you can certainly send it to robg at lipson.com. Happy to hear from you. And uh, it's been great being here, Todd. Why don't you... Yeah, Take I'm Todd, us out. Yeah, I'm Todd Cochran uh, at Geek News on Twitter or Todd at Blueberry.com. That's Blueberry without the E's because we could not afford the E's. So I uh, <laughs> want to thank you all for uh, sitting in and for those live audience for watching. I know we had people on Facebook and YouTube and other places as well. Thank you for being here. And we thank the NAB for letting us do three hours on the live stage. Hope to see you next year at NAB. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time on the New Media Show. Thank you.